You're listening to the Turn Again Ministries podcast with evangelist Aaron Pratt. Turn Again Ministries is based out of Fellowship Baptist Church in Clark Lake, Michigan, and is dedicated to bringing America back to its godly heritage. Let's prepare our hearts as evangelist Aaron Pratt brings forth God's word to us today. Praise the Lord that he gives us the victory through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not just the victory over hell and the grave, but also victory in your Christian life today. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Pastor asked me to preach And this is the only message that I could possibly preach to you this evening. It wasn't an accident that pastor became sick. The Lord had him get sick and did not heal him for whatever reason. So what you have here this evening is the message that I believe the Lord would have you to hear if you listen with open hearts. Um, I think the Lord has something to say to each of us this evening. I'm going to go ahead and read this story. It's a familiar story. I'm going to go ahead and read it before I try to expose some of the things that are in this text. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt and to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto them. Unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock, speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, and he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you, must we fetch you? Water out of this rock, and Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore, Ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them, 
This is the water of Meribah because the children of Israel strove with the Lord and he was sanctified in them. This passage is a very clear representation of ministry in the flesh. Moses, the meekest man on the earth, a spiritual man, a man that was a friend of God, had in this moment started out well and then continued his ministry in the flesh. And the results of this, for Moses at least, is that he set out from the nation of Egypt, saw many great things God did through him, saw God use him greatly, saw God do all of these wondrous things, and then God says, because you did not sanctify me in the name of Israel, in the sight of Israel, you shall not enter into the promised land. Our Heavenly Father, I pray Oh, Lord, I, I just pray that you would make sense of this shamble of notes that I have here before me. I just pray that you would take all of these disjointed thoughts that are in my heart and mind, Lord, and that you would bring something out of it. I am so comforted, Lord, by the fact that this ministry that I do behind this pulpit has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with my ability, nothing to do with how well organized I am, but everything to do with the power of your Holy Ghost. And I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Ghost will be strong among, among us, that you would get me out of your way and use youth so that only you would shine in our hearts, Lord. I pray for conviction and encouragement. Pray for this in your name. Amen. Amen. This is a passage that I really began to meditate on several months ago, and I have not been able to get away from it. In fact, I was reading the follow-up of the story in Deuteronomy chapter 3, intending to read several chapters of the Bible, but I ended up on just one phrase related to this particular story and spent a lot of time just meditating on that one phrase. This is a passage that has sobered me in a big way. Ministry in the flesh. The children of Israel walking through the desert intending to go to the promised land and they come to a place where Miriam dies and then they have no water and they gather themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, against God's anointed, against God's people, against God's leaders and they scold them. They chide them, they reprove them, they utter words of anger. These verses in verses 2 through um, 5 are words of anger, words that are charging Moses and charging Aaron with having led the nation of Israel in a foolish manner. The nation of Israel, they're coming to Moses and they're coming to Aaron and saying, wouldn't it have been better for us to be left in the land of Egypt as slaves? Rather than to die in this wilderness of thirst. The interesting thing is that though they're scolding them for the leadership of Moses and Aaron, they followed them. I mean, 
Shouldn't they be scolding themselves for actually leaving? You know, it is, it is a common characteristic, it's a common trait among human beings that we always want to find blame in somebody else for, our, for what we perceive as our mistakes. They're forgetting, I'm sorry, for what we perceive as our hardships and trials. The children of Israel made no mistake in coming up out of the land of Egypt. And in this chiding with Moses and Aaron, saying, wouldn't it have been better if we stayed in the land of, in the land of Egypt where we were slaves, but at least we had some kind of comfort, at least we had guarantee of food and guarantee of water, wouldn't it have been better for us to stay in there where we were guaranteed by the government security and provision, yet they're forgetting the many miracles that they had seen with their own very eyes that God had performed in them. They, while they are saying this, they were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. While they are saying this in the camp of Israel, there is a pillar of cloud going up from the tabernacle as their security, as their provision, as their acknowledgement that the presence of the mighty Jehovah is with them. Yet, they look at Moses and they look at Aaron as somehow being responsible for their thirst. They saw the Red Sea parted for them to go on dry ground. Then they saw the nation of Egypt pursue after on dry ground. But not very far, the Bible says, that God took the chariot wheels off the Egyptians' chariots and that they couldn't go any further. And God crashed those, those Red Sea waves on top of them, causing them to die and the nation of Israel to finally be delivered from Egypt forever. And... So they returned many years later. Bitter waters made sweet by casting forth a branch. The nation of Israel came upon waters that they couldn't drink. So they were again in a thirsty land. And the Bible says that, that Moses pleaded with God. And God says, take this branch and cast it into the water. And those bitter waters were made sweet and drinkable. Yet they're looking at this land where there is no water and thinking that the mighty God, the mighty Jehovah, that parted the waters, that caused the waters to crash down, that caused bitter waters to become sweet, is somehow not then going to deliver them. This mighty God that is within this pillar and within this cloud and within this tabernacle is somehow now not going to deliver them. Nadab and Abihu and all of this Chiding with Moses and Aaron, they had seen the likes of Nadab and Abihu offering false fire before the Lord, consumed. And they saw the nation of Israel delivered against Amalek as the only thing that mattered was God showing that Israel is not fighting this battle against Amalek, but I am fighting this battle against Amalek. And I will demonstrate that, that when Moses' hand is lifted up, the nation of Israel will, will win the war. But Moses' hand falls and the nation of Israel begins to lose again. They saw God speak out of Mount Sinai 
and were terrified. They saw the grounds open up and swallow Korah. Those men that compared their ministries as not as relevant or significant as Moses and Aaron, and thus these men were consumed with many others. They saw Aaron's rod budded forth blossoms and almonds, and then they also entered a dry and thirsty land in the wilderness of sin. They saw water come from a rock. They said, in in Exodus chapter 17, they said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, "Why Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And they're coming to Moses this time. They're saying, Moses, Aaron, your foolish leadership has led us into this place, into this dry and thirsty land. Why didn't we just stay in the nation of Egypt? And Moses then, he could say, why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? You're not tempting me. You're not chiding with me. I'm not the one that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. God Almighty is the one that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. God Almighty is the one that parted the Red Sea and caused them to crash forth again. God Almighty is the one that caused the chariot wheels to fall off. I am not the one responsible for this. You look at me as your leader. I am simply following the Lord and you are following me. I, I am not responsible for the fact that there's no water here. I just go where God tells me to go. So if you have a charge against the way that this ministry is run, the way that we are going through the nation, through the wilderness, then you need to take up your temptations and your charges against the one where they belong, which is God. And the people thirsted, Exodus 17, the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses. They were murmuring against God, really. And said, Wherefore is that thou, is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children or cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto these people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. Thou shalt smite the rock and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is not the Lord among us or not? And thus, in this situation, in the wilderness of Zin, in Numbers chapter 30, we find them asking the same question as they have seen God deliver them in the past, and as they have seen God destroy those who would stand up against God, break His commandments, and tempt the Lord, as they had seen God do that in the past, now they are so emboldened to desire slavery and bondage in Egypt rather than just trust the Lord for deliverance. And they're saying the same thing 
as the pillar of cloud, as the pillar of fire, and the cloud of uh, the pillar of cloud is within the camp. They are saying the same thing: Is the Lord among us or not? And you and I, Christian, we come into this dry and thirsty land in which you and I exist. This nation. United States of America, we see all of the problems surrounding us. We see all of the problems surrounding our country, all of the problems surrounding our world. And we see when the problems meet our own personal hearts, we so often, in a moment of temptation, when we don't fear, feel that God is so very near. We forget about the past and the way that He's delivered us in the past. We forget about the Bible accounts. We forget about trusting in the promises of Scripture. And then we say, is not the Lord among us or not? We murmur against the Lord in our trials and afflictions. Instead of trusting Him, trusting that He is a good God, and that if a trial or hard situation is there, it is always there for your good. It may not feel so good, it may be very difficult. It may bring you bad health. But you have an eternity of good health to look forward to. And so often we try to look in all of the circumstances of the trials and sufferings that surround us sometimes, and we try to think, well, what is this here for? Christian, it is always, always there to draw you nearer to Christ. So that you would know your Jesus more personally. So that you would know him as your very best friend. Some have looked at, some have looked at Beth and I's life and they see in our short years of marriage, they see the many trials and hard circumstances that we have went through and continue to go through. And they look at our lives as trying lives. And they are. They're, there's, I mean, they're, they're trials, they're afflictions. But I want you to know, make no mistake about it, you may not see blessing on the outside, but we are richly blessed. I wouldn't trade the trials and the circumstances that have happened in my years, brain surgery, whatever it may be, for anything in the world. Because it is those things that cause me to know Jesus in a deeper, purer, more beautiful way. I wouldn't trade that for all the gold and riches in the world. And thus, we can say with Paul, Paul wasn't crazy. He wasn't a man that desired to be in prison. He wasn't a man that desired to be blind. He wasn't a man that desired to, to be forsaken. But he looked at all of those things in the right way, and he said, I count it all joy." Because I know that these are opportunities for me to know Jesus in a deeper and purer way than I've ever known him before. And I know that then it is thus an opportunity for then others to know Jesus in a purer and brighter way as he will shine through me if I let him embrace your trials and sufferings, Christian. 
Don't run from them. Don't hate them. Embrace them. It doesn't mean that you prefer them. It doesn't mean that you like them. But it means that you see a far greater reward in your trial and circumstance than any, than any earthly comfort could ever give you. And that is the comfort of the Lord Jesus inside of you. That sweet communion and fellowship with your personal friend. On verse 6, we, we see that Moses starts out right. They went from the presence of the assembly into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces. They went before the Lord. Now, if I was approached by all of these people in the nation of Israel in such a carnal manner, I don't know that I would have been as gracious as Moses was. I mean, I, I would have to think that the temptation to say, What, are you blind? You don't think that God is among you when you see this pillar of cloud before you and when you've seen the mighty things that God has done? You think that I've led you out here? I don't know that I would have been as gracious as Moses. I probably would have been more in the flesh. But Moses and Aaron fall on their faces before the Lord. They, they start out right. The Bible says, Now Moses the man was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Meekness says, When you chastise me and rebuke me, though I have the power to rebuke you back and shout you down, I'm just going to take it for the cause of Jesus Christ. Meekness is power under control. It's interesting to note the differences between the spiritual and the carnal Christians here. The spiritual being that of Moses and Aaron. They had a calmness about this situation. They, are, they were thirsting as well. You realize that Aaron and Moses were also thirsting. They were well aware of the situation, but they had a calmness, a serenity, a peace and security in the midst of the storms and the deserts of life. They said, God has brought us this far. He'll continue to bring us through this desert land. God has brought us this far. He will bring us water again. God has seen this situation before in the past. It wasn't too hard for him then, and it won't be too hard for him now. We just need to sit back, trust God, trust him. His promises and wait on the Lord. Yet the carnal ones are the ones who are, do not remember the miracles in the past. Do not remember the testimonies and the promises of God. They do not believe that God is who he says he is. They do not believe that God loves him, that he is a good God, that he would keep his promises. They believe that God, who had delivered them before, would just let them abandon them and let them die in the wilderness. These were people that knew not God. Not because they weren't given a chance. God had revealed himself in such mighty ways. They did not know God because the lusts of their flesh consumed them. And Christian, many of us do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. Oh, we're saved, but we don't have a personal relationship with Jesus because the lusts of our flesh are of greater prize to us than the communion and fellowship of the Spirit with Jesus Christ. They fell on their faces and then God answers, you fall on your face before the Lord. 
I mean you truly fall on your face, not as an act, not with some reservations about it, but you fall on your face, that is, giving your all before God, in your heart saying, God, I'm here, what do you want me to do? God will answer you. Sometimes his answer is this period of silence saying, wait and trust. Those are the times that make us uncomfortable, but we need to believe that God is good and that he honors the promises of Scripture, that if you seek him with your whole heart, he will be found. They fall on their faces before God, and God gives them the answer. He says... In verse number 8, to take the rod and gather the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give you forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so shalt thou give the congregation and their beasts drink. Hmm. You know, it's... Interesting, then Moses says, And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. He's obeying God. God says, Gather the people, take your rod, take Aaron, gather them together, and speak unto the rock, and listen what Moses does instead. He says, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch, must we fetch water out of this rock? You know, he calls them rebels. He seems to be more harsh on their sin than God was. God didn't condemn them. He didn't show an act of judgment. He says, yes, they've sinned greatly against me, but I'm going to give them water out of my, out of my mercy anyway. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue, subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You know, God loves mercy, and he loves his Christian people to not show a heart of judgment and condemnation, but a heart of mercy. And this does not mean that we become soft on sin. Moses begins to follow the command of God, but he doesn't follow through. And it's something that needs to be pointed out if you haven't already noticed the symbolism here. The rock is Jesus Christ. The water that comes forth is the Holy Ghost. The wilderness in which they live is a dry and thirsty ground of this sin-depraved world. It is the United States of America in which you and I live. It is our families and extended families where they have the opportunity for the living and flowing water to flow through them and from them. That is Jesus Christ. They have the opportunity to take of the waters of life freely and never thirst. Yet they continue in this dry and thirsty land and choose not to speak to the rock and have those waters gush forth from among them. The reason that we don't have revival and 
many of our hearts today is because we're speaking to the wrong things. We're looking to the wrong things instead of speaking to the rock that is Jesus Christ and looking for the filling of the Holy Ghost to lead and guide and strengthen us. And every moment of our days, we look for other means. There's revival in a weary land. Moses says, must we fetch? Moses, I wasn't aware that you were really involved in the fetching. Since when do you own this some kind of part in this miracle? God is just using you as a vessel, a cup. This cup doesn't give me water. It holds me water, and I drink from it, but this cup has no power. Moses has no power. God just chooses to use him as a vessel to show forth his mighty power. Yet Moses says, must we fetch in his prideful mind? He is saying, I am holy, I am powerful, and God is going to use me. I am needed and indispensable. I'm working hand in hand with God, and God must need me. Must me and God come together and fetch water out of this rock? Moses, you can never strike that rock enough to bring water out of it. You can never speak enough to that rock to bring water out of it. Christian, you could never, ever, ever do enough in your own flesh, no matter how holy you think you are, no matter how much you read this Bible, you could never in your own flesh, in your own mind, in your own personality, in your own power, you could never do a spiritual work. This is a work that begins and ends through God, and the journey along that beginning and ending is all of God. It has nothing to do with you. You just need to be surrendered and get out of the way. Oh, ministry in the flesh. Listen to the difference of Peter. In the book of Acts, chapter 3, after he sees, enters into a temple, sees a lame man, the lame man says, why don't you give me money? And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And all of the people around were amazed that this man that they had seen begging for food day in and day out was walking around and leaping for joy in the temple, saying, praise God, I am healed. And the people assembled together, and the Bible says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat at alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondered. And when Peter saw it, listen to Peter's response. Not look at me and how me and God did this mighty work. But when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? And why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus Christ.
Moses starts out right, then he gets in the flesh. He's filled up with pride, thinking that he has something to do with what is about to happen. Calls them rebels, and listen, were they rebels? Yes. Was it wrong to call them rebels? Is it wrong to call a sinner a sinner? No. Unless God doesn't tell you to call a sinner a sinner. You know, so much of our ministry, we just do so much of it independent. We get filled up with knowledge and we think that this is the way that we need to do it. And we cast forth words and we throw them out and we may even throw Bible verses out. But did you ask Jesus what Bible verse he wanted you to use? Did you ask Jesus if he wanted you to just be silent? You know that Jesus, when he was walking the road of Calvary, he could have said a whole lot more. Yet the Bible says that he was as a lamb to the slaughter, dumb before his shears. He, there were times when he could have spoken and he could have put a number of people in their place. But he chose not to. Be sure that when you are bold against sin, that you do so in a spirit of love and not pride. Even if they have the word Democrat behind their name. Be careful what you post on social media, Christians. Verse 11, Moses lifted up his hand. It's interesting that the Bible mentions this. Lifted up his hand. The Bible could have just said that he smote the rock. But it takes note to say that he lifted up his hand almost for show's sake. To be a showman like everyone look. You know, there's a lot of showmanship in modern day preaching. I read a, something on Twitter. I, I don't know the man and I don't know the preachers he was referring to. Don't have a problem against hellfire and brimstone preaching. I love hellfire and brimstone preaching. As long as it's done spirit-filled. This man made a comment. He said, you get these men into your pulpit, it is this kind of spitting hellfire preaching that's brought revivals in the past. That man doesn't know what revivals are and how they came. It has nothing to do with the preacher, but everything to do with a preacher who is a vessel that's used full of the Holy Spirit of God. It is a work not of fantastic personalities. It has nothing to do with your personality, but everything to do with the person of Jesus Christ. And as long as we, in our independent fundamental Baptist circles, chase personalities and try to mimic preachers of the past and try to mimic revivals of the past, we're searching in the wrong areas when we need to 
get in this book and we need to get on our knees and we need to search our hearts and we need to pour our hearts before our God and live a life that's spirit-filled. It's not about a method. It's not about a personality. But it is always about lifting up the person of Jesus Christ. Bible says that he smote the rock twice. Maybe Moses was thinking of what had happened back in Exodus where God told him to smite the rock. And he says, maybe in his mind, he says, you know, what worked before? Maybe if I double it up and I do it twice, maybe even more water will come out and a more abundant glorification of God will will pursue. You know that there is a pattern in this book that we must follow for doing ministry, raising our families. And you are all either should be involved in ministry or all involved in ministry. Ministry, that is, the work of Jesus Christ, whether it be within your families or within this church, whether it be in the secular work world, witnessing the gospel and sharing the testimony of Jesus Christ, you are involved in ministry. This message, ministry in the flesh, is pertinent to every single Christian. Moses looked at what had been done in the past and what had worked in the past, and he said, if it worked in the past, maybe if I do it double, it'll really work this time. This is where we fall when we try to repeat history, whether things that have worked for us, things that have worked for others, following methods of men rather than the book, the holy book, the Bible following methods that God has led us to do in the past rather than following methods that God is leading us to do right now. Believes, he smites it, he believes that the power of the ministry has something to do with his own power, his own methods, his own talents, his own plans. But God never said to smite the rock. He said to speak to the rock. He never said to call Israel rebels. He just said to speak to the rock. It's interesting that in Exodus, when this incident happened before, God said, gather the people together, smite the rock, and water will gush forth. And you know what it says that Moses did? It doesn't even have to recount what Moses did. It just says, and he did so. Oh, let it be the testimony where we don't need long stories about the many mistakes that we did, but that we could just say that we were servants of the Lord, and we did so. God said, and we said yes. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. The men that turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ did not do so through intelligence. 
They did not do so through business marketing schemes within the church. They did so on their faces before a holy God. They did so spirit-filled. They did not do so leaning and depending upon the power of hellfire and spitting preaching. They did not do so depending upon a personality. My soul, Paul, the man who authored more books in the New Testament than anyone else, put a man to sleep through his preaching. And he had a greater impact on ministry than anybody else that we know in the New Testament church. Oh, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit. Not my spirit and your might. Do you get that? Not my spirit and your intelligence. Not my spirit and your plans and your programs, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The Bible says the water came out. It came out anyway, Christians. Moses was doing ministry in the flesh, which is sin, and God blessed anyway. The water came out. Do you know that God still works through sinful men? You know that God even works through carnal men? But imagine how much greater God could work through spiritual men and women. I marvel at adulterous and pedophile preachers have been used in the past to lead souls to Christ and to, and to see souls given their lives over to Christ. And while they were preaching such messages, were involved in unrepentant, gross, immoral conduct, pedophilia, and adultery, pornography. And God used them anyway. We don't use this to excuse any sin. We don't use this to say that somebody can do those things and be excused by God because be sure your sin will find you out. And then God takes Moses and Aaron apart and he speaks to them as the congregation drinks of the water. As God still blesses a, a spiritual application of revival. The water, Jesus Christ. The water, that rock, Jesus Christ. The desert, a sinful and wasted and dry and thirsty land. And that water springing forth, the Holy Ghost coming out upon them. The Bible says that they drank, that though Moses was in the flesh, God still used him. And the Lord spake unto him and says, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. You didn't believe me. You believed in your own flesh. You believed in your own history. You believed in your own methods. You believed in your own bombastic presentation. You believed in what worked in the past. You didn't put your faith and trust in me, Moses. And the final result is that you will not enter the promised land. Now I look at this and I say, there were a whole lot more carnal men that entered the promised land, no doubt, than Moses. And Moses was held to a high standard because he was a man that talked face to face with God. He was a man that was inexcusable in this conduct here. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 3, 
Oh, I love this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 3. And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness. I love that. Moses had seen more miracles than anybody else in the history of the world. He had seen God face to face, and he says, you have begun to show your greatness? You know, Christian, you will never get to the end of the greatness of the glory and the excellency of God. You will never get to the end of this book. You will never get to the end of a passage. You will never get to the end of a doctrine. And the moment that you do realize that you are dead spiritually and you need revived, <coughs> show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might. I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land. I'm not even asking to live there. I'm just saying, will you go over and let me see the land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain, and Lebanon? Moses is saying, I've walked this land for 40 years. I've seen you do a mighty work. Would you just show me your mercy? But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes. For your sakes. And would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee, speak no more of me to me of this matter. And God says, you can go up into a mountain and you can see it from afar. You can see north and south and east and west. You can look at it from afar, but you're not allowed to cross the river. You lost that opportunity long ago when you did not glorify me in the sight of Israel, but you glorified yourself. When you had an opportunity to do a ministry in the spirit, but you do a ministry in the flesh. And I look at that time. God did a work of revival there. He brought forth waters out of a rock. He brought forth a great and mighty miracle. But God says, you did not sanctify me in the eyes of the people. For the sake of the people, you will not enter the land. For the sake of the people in this situation, imagine this. God says, you could have done this work in a spiritual way, yet you chose to do it in your flesh. I did a work, but I didn't do the work that I wanted to do. You didn't set me apart in the eyes of Israel. Christian, I, I just got to think, and I don't know that we will ever find out, but I just got to think that God had a whole different intention to happen than what happened there. Water was going to come out, and I believe that Moses and the people of Israel were going to see some kind of great revival set forth, that they were going to be on fire for the Lord. But because Moses chose instead to do ministry in the flesh, in this one instance, Moses chose to do ministry in the flesh rather than being filled with the Holy Spirit and doing his work through the power and the strength of God. He chose to do it in his flesh, and the result is that God wanted to see something great happen. He had the opportunity there to see something great happen, and it didn't happen. Something great happened, but oh, something so much greater could have happened. You read the passage, that's what God's saying. My soul. And Christian, this is a sobering thought. A sobering thought. 
I have to imagine that Moses was a man that walked in the flesh. I have to imagine that this probably wasn't the first time that he did something in the flesh. Yet it was this one time. How would he have known? It was this one time that could have had a far greater heavenly significance and resulted in a very great punishment for Moses. It was a situation that limited the Holy One of Israel. Christian, in your ministry, whatever that is, in your life, in your communication to believers and non-believers, in your ministry in this church and in your ministry in your family as you raise your kids, Are you doing it spirit-filled? Are you doing it spirit-filled all the time? As much as within you, are you seeking the power and the strength of the Lord and not what's worked in the past and not your own strength and not your own bombastic personality, but, but the person of Jesus Christ? Are your children being raised in a spirit with spirit-filled parents? Are you conducting the bus ministry in a spirit-filled way? Because we don't know, Christian, in the moment with a conversation piece that seems innocuous, that seems harmless, harmless, that seems like it doesn't have anything to do spiritually, we don't know that if in one moment it could change the course of history. You don't know. Moses, I'm sure this wasn't the first time he acted in the flesh. He didn't know the dire consequences of him acting out in the flesh. God wanted to sanctify the nation of Israel in him. He wanted to do a great and mighty, strong spiritual work in them, but he was limited by the ministry of the flesh of Moses. Oh, Christian, this is so sobering to me. I cannot imagine the amount of times in the past where I have witnessed the gospel in the flesh, where I have probably preached in the flesh, where I have, where I have spoken to other Christians and non-Christians in the flesh. And I can only, I don't even want to know how much I've limited God. And the beautiful thing about this story is that in Numbers chapter 20, you know what Moses does? He doesn't sit down and feel sorry for himself. God says, you're going through this wilderness. You're going to lead the people. You're not going into the promised land. Though. You lost that. That's your penalty. You know what Moses does? He keeps going. He keeps going. Because his heart's desire isn't for the promised land. His heart's desire is seeking a better country, a heavenly king, kingdom. His heart's desire is for Jesus Christ. His heart's desire is to see God face to face. Not these things on this earth. He keeps going. Because God is worth it. 
You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.